If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In a few moments, we're going to read verse 4. And we're going to be thinking about this morning, Fathers Building Christian Homes. You've probably watched a house being built and, and see the process that takes place. And you know that you start out with the foundation, then the framing goes up. And then once the framing goes up, you get the exterior walls, and then you, you know, work on the inside, and you work with the plumbing and the electrical and the HVAC and, you know, the cabinets and all of the things that go with that until finally you end up with a completed home. We know some things about building a house. We're going to think this morning about building a Christian home and the work that fathers can do in that. And we're going to look at one verse of Scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, for a father to do that, there are several things that he needs to accomplish as he serves as a father. And we're going to think, first of all, about the fence of protection. Not so much maybe on residential sites, but on commercial sites. Usually when they start a project, they put up a fence. And they do that to keep their materials from getting stolen, which can be a problem, especially today. But they also do that so that people won't get in and get hurt on the construction site. And so fathers need to do things to protect their children. And we seek to protect our children when they're small. We've got to protect them from sharp objects. We protect them from harmful chemicals. We protect them from the medicines. We protect them from electrical cords and the devices they're attached to because you never know what a little kid is going to get into. So we just, we just take that, you know, there's something that we've got to child-proof our home. But the do job doesn't stop with protecting our family after those children pass preschool years. You know, throughout other years, even through the teen years, they need the protection just of different things. You know, we need to protect them against the Many of the things that are shown in movies and on TVs and in magazines and books today, you know, they're just the wrong things, communicate the wrong ideas. You know, sometimes, and recently, in, across the United States, we've seen a lot of flooding. And when the relief teams come in, one of the things they do is bring bottled water. And that's because the, the natural water that they have there, the water in their, their water systems, gets contaminated from the flooding. I tell you what, there's a lot of moral pollution around. And we need to make sure that our children don't get into that, but instead we provide them the something that's worthwhile. We protect them as much as we can from alcohol and drugs and the misuse of them and the dangers that that causes. We seek to protect them now when they're on the computer. You know, computers, smartphones, they're just a part of everyday life. They're a part of our children's lives. I read the other day about a one-year-old that was using an, uh, an iPad and knew how to do it. <laughs> they just start early. So we've got to be the protectors. We need to set up a, an administrator account with a password that children don't know so that we can put in the parental guards that need to be in our computers. If our children are old enough to be on social networking sites such as Facebook, then we make, need to make sure that the security's locked down. Same thing with their cell phones. And, you know, a lot of the kids have smartphones as well. And we have to teach them. We have to, we have to teach them that there are sites out there they don't need to go to. 
and that there are predators out there that they need to be aware of. And we need to teach them about putting too much personal information there and about spending too much time on those devices so that they can develop in all areas of their lives. One of the things we need to do as fathers to build a Christian home is put up a fence of protection. There's another thing, and that's the wall of discipline. Now, that's a hard thing to do sometimes, but it's something that's necessary. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. In other words, we have to discipline our children. We've pretty much gotten away from the idea that we are born as sinners and that we live in the midst of sinful society and that there's got to be some controls placed on that sinful human nature. But it's still true. And it's still up to parents to do something about that and to help our child know what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, I've asked this question to a lot of people. Have you ever seen a child you had te to teach to be bad? Yeah, yeah, no. It just comes natural to us. And, and that's why we need that discipline that God talks about. In verse 6 of Proverbs 22, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. In other words, we've got to correct them from the wrong things that they do, and we've got to nurture them in the things they should be doing and help them to grow in that way. There's got to be that wall of discipline to provide a good Christian home. Now, you know, one of the things we have to do is start that discipline early. Charles Colson, some of you will remember him from Watergate years, said that parents must take small monsters who spend much of their time screaming defiantly and hurling peas onto the carpet and turn them into people who are willing to share and to wait their turn in line and to respect other people's property. And so we have to provide the discipline necessary to move them in that direction. How do we go about doing that? Well, throughout their lives, it helps to do things together and to be aware of the moment and to use the opportunities as they come along. Watching TV together, you can begin to point out some of the things that are portrayed that aren't right, that aren't correct, that stand against God. Let me challenge you to do something. Get your children to, to memorize the Ten Commandments, and then you sit down and watch a program with them, and then ask them, okay, which of the commandments were broken? Let them learn for themselves how this, in our society, you know, so many times goes against the basic teaching of the Word of God. Of course, we need to teach them to share with one another, to be kind to one another, and we do that by reminding them that God shares with us, that God is kind to us, and just helping them along this pathway. And, you know, when you have a baseball game, you've got to have an umpire. Somebody's got to enforce the rules. You can teach that when you go watch a baseball game. You, know, you go into a restaurant and you see the, the grade that's on the restaurant, A, B, or C. If it's a C, you probably aren't going in there. But, but you know, say, okay, you know, society has checks and ballots upon what's as healthy and what's not. And so you, you want to look for what is clean in life and not what 
might be contaminated. And then, you know, you might notice that, you know, sometimes there's a trial that's highlighted in the news, and you can talk about that and say that God is a God of justice, and ultimately He's judge, the judge, and one day we're going to stand before Him. You're just using the everyday things of life to bring them the, the teaching that they need. Get at your uh, uh, wedding album. Show them the pictures are there. Talk about your wedding, and then talk about your marriage. And talk about the need for sexual purity before marriage and after you're married. And then talk about how God has been with you and blessed you because you followed His ways and His teaching and given you His protection and His help. Now, you put up that wall of discipline day by day and continually work with it. You've got to work with it to, you know, actually discipline your children. Some people have the idea that you're not supposed to discipline your children. You ever seen that? Boy, it doesn't work too well, does it? People have that idea. They're not being wise, and they're going opposite to what the Word of God teaches. Hebrews 12, the Scripture says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, for those who have been trained by it. If we love our children, we discipline them. We discipline them to show that we care because if we don't discipline, they get the idea that we don't really care. And we discipline them so that eventually they will have that harvest of righteousness and peace. Then some parents overdo it. Their discipline's too harsh. They come across as uncaring. They don't listen. They can be unreasonable and sometimes abusive. You've got to avoid either extreme. Somebody explained it one time this way. He said, think of a child as an egg. You hold the child in your hand like you might hold an egg in your hand, hold it too loosely, and it falls and breaks. Grip it too tightly, and it's going to break as well. You've got to do it just the way that God suggests. The wall of discipline. One of the best preachers I ever heard was in an evangelism conference with the South Carolina Baptist Convention. The preacher's name was James Carter, and not the president, <laughs> but it was an African-American pastor from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. But he was talking about fathers one day, and he talked about his father. And he said, my father was so deep I couldn't get under him. He was so high I couldn't get over him. He was so wide I couldn't get around him. His father provided a wall of discipline for him, and it ended up a blessing for him. So we need that wall of discipline. Then if you're going to create the kind of home that you need to create as Christian fathers, you need to connect your family to the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. You know, that gospel is powerful. God is powerful. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
put your faith in Jesus, open your life to Him, accept what He did for you on the cross, trust in the future that He's able to give you, and you are saved. You have eternal life. It's for everyone who believes. The door is open for all. God gives us the power of the gospel, and we as parents need to connect our children to that power. Our main task is bringing them to the place where they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the most important thing. Now, you know what? You can't do that unless you've been connected yourself. And it could be that as a parent, the first step that you need to take is believing in Jesus yourself and letting Him into your life so that you have His power. Then you connect your children to that power. You bring them to church, but it's not enough just to bring them to church. You've got to talk about it at home. You've got to live it at home. You've got to share with them at home. We get real busy as parents with good things, education, sports, art, entertainment. You know, we, we keep our children involved and we're going and we're going and we're busy and we're busy and sometimes we stay so busy doing good things that we miss out doing the most important thing. Making sure that our child one day comes to the place where he or she reaches out and says, Jesus, I'm ready to receive you. That's our most important task. Don't let it get away from you. And then once you connect them, you help them to grow in that power. We read this passage earlier in the service, but it's worth repeating. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. It's got to be on your heart first. Oppress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them in your forehead. In other words, keep them in front of your children on a daily basis. So you got a preschooler and she's out of the yard and she sees a pretty flower. Talk to her about the God who made that flower and how he is the great creator God. Child gets invited to a birthday party. Say, Jesus shared about the kingdom of God. It's like a king who gave a great wedding banquet. You know, that's like a party. You know, heaven's like a party. Man, don't you like to go to parties? Children sure do. Makes heaven seem a little more enticing than sitting around on a cloud with a harp. <laughs> Teach about God as your child maybe participates or views athletics. And you can say like Paul, you know, when you go out to run a race, you don't run just to lag behind everybody. You want to win. You put your all into it. And the Christian life is to be the same way. Compete so as to win. You don't box as if shadow boxing. You're boxing so that you can win the bout. Teach about God and the things of everyday life. Connect them to the power. And then they provide the furnishing of your presence. You know, a house without furniture is cold and empty and uninviting. So is a house without a father. You know, we've got a very 
ridiculous and a very dangerous idea circulating in our society today. And the idea is that fathers are pretty well superfluous. That you don't really need fathers anymore. And yet, social study after social study has shown that having a father in the home goes a huge way toward helping children grow up to be happy and successful. And likewise, when you don't have a father in the home, you're looking for problems. Sometimes that problem is something along the lines of economic. Almost 50% of the people who live in, of the families that are below the poverty level in this country are headed up by single mothers. But less than 10% when both parents are present. Fathers make a difference in the amount of teenage pregnancies. Fathers make a difference in the amount of the teens who male teens who get into crime and join gangs. You just can't say enough about the difference a father makes in a home. Men are going to show their, or have to show their masculinity in one way or another. And we need to get back to the place where that's shown not in acts of violence, not in sleeping with as many women as you can, not in making as much money as you can, but in being a loving husband and a caring father. We've got to move in that direction. If the father isn't there, how can he protect and discipline and connect to the gospel? So the call today is for men to be committed fathers and loving husbands. You know, that's God's plan. He put us together as male and female, husband and wife, so that we might bring up children for His glory and for His purposes. That's why we have the family. And, and we've got to continue to help society to see that this is based on God's wisdom and God's directive, and it's based for, on what is best for individuals in the family, and it's based on what is best for our society. For the more we move away from it, the more problems we have as individuals and the more problems we have as a society. So we come back to being committed husbands and fathers, caring for our family. Now, that picture represents our ideal. All families aren't ideal. That picture would be a pretty accurate representation of my wife's family when she was growing up. Does it represent at all the family I grew up in? My dad was an alcoholic. Sometimes he protected us, and sometimes we needed protecting from him. Sometimes he disciplined us, and sometimes that discipline slipped over into abuse. He never connected us to the power of the gospel because he didn't have it in his own life. Sometimes we enjoyed his presence, and sometimes we wished he'd just go away. I had to look elsewhere for a role models for, models for a father, to the fathers of my friends, to my Sunday school teachers, to uh, back then, TV fathers, because you had them like the father in Father's Knows Best, and thank goodness not like Homer Simpson. Through it, I learned that God is my heavenly father, 
and he's going to protect me, and he's going to provide for me, and he's going to discipline me, and he's going to give me eternal life, and he's going to be my heavenly father. And I learned that because my mother faithfully took me and my brothers to church week by week and also taught about him and lifted it home. So I just share that to say not all fathers are perfect. Not all families are perfect. Some of them are. Some of them are good. But I would challenge the men who are fathers today to do your best to be that loving husband and committed, caring father that your family needs so that you can move your family to where God wants it to be. Now, perhaps today you would write to recommit yourself to that. You can do that as we sing the invitation hymn this morning. Maybe today you would like to say, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe it is the result of growing up in a family who shared that with you. Maybe it's as a result of hearing something in Bible school or church or some way God drew you to himself and you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. You want to say, I've done that. I've accepted Jesus and I I want to be a member of the church. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, you know my family's not perfect. Help me cope with what's going on in it. Or maybe you would like to come today and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for my father because he was a blessing to me. You can respond in any of these ways as we sing our invitation hymn, which I believe is number 442.